Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. Uh, this is the land that has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians. Uh, it's been in their hands for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands for a long time after us. Uh, this land has been a meeting place for sharing knowledge, for sharing stories and sharing song and music, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We are broadcasting from Redfern right now. Redfern is the birthplace of black theatre in this country and it's a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. And one of my favourite things about making this show is the guests that we get to talk to. And if you're a regular listener of Race Matters, you may know that we ask one question of all of our guests our conversation leads up to it and that question is when did you realize there is power in your race everyone has such varied answers to it and we're going to be revisiting the answers to that very question from all of the guests that we're lucky enough to be joined by in this wild year that is 2020 (laughs) i'm always surprised uh by people's answers to it too and the way they approach it because it's a quite startling question to be confronted with sometimes. It was a question that Tanya asked me when she um, brought us all together. Mm. So Tanya's our EP, and I remember when she asked me that question, and we had to give it to her in, a, in like a soundbite. Mm. And I remember thinking like, "Oh, it's so obvious." Yeah. And then as I started talking, it was like vomit. Like, coming, yeah. like it was just like, it was just like word vomit coming out. There was all this stuff that was coming out of me of like things that I hadn't even really unpacked yet. Um, and re- like really like positive experiences of mine when it came to embracing and celebrating my racial identity, but like moments that I hadn't really mm. fully um, kind of engaged with yet because we get we, we we kind of do get bogged down a lot in talking about the um things that happen to us negatively from um people that are not of color and don't understand where we come from that we do tend to forget about all of the greatness that comes from yeah. being poc black indigenous whatever your beautiful racial identity may be yeah moments of hope triumph and empowerment um you'll be hearing a lot of that uh for this show our final show of 2020 you are listening to race matters yes we are taking a look back at the guests we were joined by this year and their answers to the question we ask all of them when did you realize there was power in your race uh we're going to be hearing from ziggy ramo teela reed uh rachel hocking so many of the amazing guests who you've gotten to know over the past
Ziggy Rama, Pressure off his uh, Black Thoughts record, nominated for a Smack Award for Record of the Year at the FBI Smack Awards. You are listening to Race Matters. My name is Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. We're about to hear from some of our favourites. Oh, I don't know, all of our... Nope. Some of our, all of them. They're, <laughs> they're all, all our favourites. They're all faves. Um, there is really like no favouritism here at Race Matters because all of these answers are just super complex and nuanced and layered and speak directly to each guest's collective but also individual experience. So we're going to hear from Ziggy Ramo first. Ziggy Ramo, when did you realise that there was power in your race? Oh. For uh, for fifty thousand years, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> of like, and that's the thing. Like, that's what's so important to me is, like, it's not acknowledgement; it's celebration. Mm-hmm. Like, you're on black land. This yep. is a black country with black history, black tradition, black culture, and so that's the thing that I think we so often miss is like we are. Like, we have access to the... We're not young and free. Like, we're ancient. Like, we're sacred. Mm. And we have access to that on this country. If you are Australian, that is our history. So, for me, like, it's always mattered. Like, it will always matter because it's who we are. So, like, we have to be connected to that, you know? Okay. Okay. I think I'm going to have... I think I'm going to have a a strange answer, but but just bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's something that I've, I've become interested in this year and, and in writing for such a fun age is the difference between wealth and income. And I think in studying how money works and how capital works and just how, you know, people work on, you know, a, a basic human, you know, behavior level, I think it's, as the saying goes, um, skin folk is not always kin folk. And so in realizing the power that black elite can have can also, you know, dip into white supremacy at times, I think seeing the power of of black money and how it can be used for wrong power makes me realize how powerful a race can be. And also it, it sounds bleak, but seeing things like that makes me want to do better. And it makes me want to work for working class people and work for people like Amira to make sure that she can go to the doctor and get health insurance and and put power into the right places. Oh, yeah, that's so real and makes me think of the character of Tamara in the book who, were, like, I remember gasping towards the end at some of the things that she was saying. I was like, whoa, like, you kind of want her to be Amira's ally and she's just Absolutely not. Yes, that was another book uh, tour highlight when so many Black women would say to me, oh my God, this is my mom's friend, Denise. I hate her so much. <laughs> I think a lot of Black women recognize her, you know, and and that kind of perspective can also be harmful as well. And so in my literature, I want to portray all of those types of Black people because they come in multitudes. But in my life, I, I want to see that power and recognize it and hopefully turn it into the right places. Sab, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oh my, okay. Oh. Do I have an answer for this? It can be whatever you want it to be. Oh, once when I was a kid, this is like not a good, this is not a good answer. Um, once when I was, 
I I don't know. I don't know. I think the phrase ethnically ambiguous hottie was used okay. a lot was yeah. used a lot in my teenage years, which became this way for me to like I guess I was trying to navigate myself as mixed race and also as a person of colour in a predominantly white school and trying to, I guess, use my identity as a way to slip through certain bits and conceal certain parts of my identity to be able to be in certain spaces. I don't use that term anymore. In fact, when I tried to talk about it in my thesis, I think I wrote ethnically, no, ethically ambiguous body. And I was like, <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> but it could be. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Online, probably. <laughs> there you go. If you've been a long-time listener of uh, not only Race Matters, but FBI Radio in general, you'd be well familiar with the voice of Sab D'Souza. Uh, they used to executive produce Canvas, uh, and they're an artist based on Cadigal land. Kylie Reed, you heard from her before, author of Such a Fun Age, catching up with uh, our EP, Tanya Ali. Uh, I remember, sorry, when we were listening back to that interview, how amazing were at her answer because it took it in a way that we hadn't really heard our guests take it before, hey? Yeah, um, the intersection of class and race was definitely something that has been a topic of conversation, but hearing it weaved into the question was really kind of like, is a jaw-dropping moment? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say awe-dropping moment then. Um, <laughs> awe-inspiring. <laughs> awe-inspiring. But we were definitely looking across from each other being like, oh. That's so oh, true, yeah. Yes. Oh, my God, didn't even think of that. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, like, just one of the many reactions that we have the privilege of kind mm. having when we hear the responses to that question. Yeah, I love it because they can be about these, um, not grand ideas, but, like, permeating ideas of what it means to be black and be relating to other black people people, but it can also be a small anecdote, like Sad being like, oh, I remember we used to talk about this as kids, and then yeah. I stopped talking about that, and then I felt power. And also, like, um, just quickly, the we were talking about it before, but we have... Um there's always a different reaction to just the question itself. Mm. So we have guests that have a reaction like, say, Ziggy, where he's like, oh, always, but then unpacks it, you know, through um, a lot more nuance. And then, you know, we have, like, answers like Sab where they're like, I don't know. <laughs> but then, like, start to unpack it and then they get to, like, then they get to their answer. And it's just like what we were saying before. It's a question that you don't really get asked of, but it seems so obvious. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You are listening to Race Matters with Darren Lasagas and Sada Khan. We are taking a stroll back on memory lane of all the guests we've had in 2020 to the moment that we asked them, when did you realize there was power in your race? We're going to hear from FBI broadcaster and friend of the show, Carolina Dillip. Piedra. Oh, you know what? To be honest, only in the last few years, I realized that my race made me powerful because instead of feeling othered, I realized that my difference is powerful. Like the fact that I'm different is powerful. And um, yeah, so probably I reckon in the last two to three years. And it wasn't like a pivoting point. It's something that I'm still realizing and like noticing to this day. Um, and you know, like you go into meetings sometimes or whatever, and you might be the only colored person in the room and that can be really daunting. But then there's been times where I've like realized the power of that. Um, yeah. Curly Saunders, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oof. I was seven years old and um, I was asked to stand up in front of the class and show what a black kid looks like after this horrendous stereotypical version of 
our cultural history. And I realised in that moment that to be different means to be powerful. But at the time I was so mortified that I hid under my table and I, you know, I'd, I'd been sat out, I'd been pointed out for being different. And I looked at that difference and, and found total discomfort in it. And it's only taken until now to really sit with that experience of racism and to say, well, she must have sat me out for a reason. I think we're all being pointed out for a reason and I think everybody has, especially mob, something really powerful to give. And if you're a young person out there, I hope you find it super young. And even if you're arriving at your journey a lot later mm. and only reckoning with your cultural identity now, um, there's it's never too late. Yep. Yeah, get on board. We'd love to have you. Vivian Pham, when did you realise there was power in your race? In my race? I feel like the first time I realised there was power in my race was when I was walking in around Cabramatta and just noticing the like boys that had school boys that had like jigged from jig school and they're just walking around like swaggering around and they just looked they were Asian like me and at that time I think I remember being really self-conscious about my race and they just seemed like a lot of them I think had mullets and stuff so they looked really funny (laughs) they looked funny to me but there was just such a huge sense of pride in them and I always I still think I thought about them and I thought about, and I think that's when I wanted to write a character like Vince, Mm. like someone that just has so much pride in themselves and they don't really see their culture as baggage like I had for a lot of the time. Like they didn't see it as something that separated them from other people. It was just a natural, it was just the skin that they were in. And I think, um, yeah, that's the first time. Jeanette Chen, when did you realise there was a power in your race? Um, wow, this is going to sound kind of corny, but, um, I think when I really started writing and I really started writing in a way, um, that was informed by the things that I'd learned from Sweatshop. So, um, writing in a way that is culturally specific, writing for, um, you know, knowing who I'm writing for and, and knowing that I don't have to write for a, a white audience, I don't have to explain things that I don't want to explain. Um, I can tell the story the way that I would tell my friends, and that it's perfectly valid literature that I'm writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are listening to Race Matters on FBI Radio ninety four point five with Daniel Sargas and Sada Khan. We are looking back on a bunch of our guests who've come through the show in twenty twenty, and I'm loving how much and how you can hear them all answering this question in a in a row, like finding um, the connection between power and like reason you know Mm. the reason why janet writes or like you know uh the reason why carolina works you know the way that the um power manifests in different ways is quite fascinating i think yeah and also the realization that you don't have to cater to white audiences like you, you know we don't like power in our race is is not something that we have to explain mm. for people that don't understand or ask questions that uh, should never really be asked of yeah. us and so I think that's definitely something I think I've only realized that in the last like year two years yeah that you know 
It's like establishing that boundary, you know, ownership, determination, mm. like finding out what works for you and being unapologetic and uncompromising with it. That's empowering. Yeah, and everyone, the way people do that, the way people of colour, black people, indigenous people, like all of our racial identities are so diverse and they, the way we manifest them, like you were saying before, and how we um, hold that power looks different for everyone. Absolutely. Of course, don't forget that if any of these... Um, excerpts of these stories pique your interest and you want to learn more about these people and what they have to say and the wisdom and knowledge they have to share all these episodes are up online at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters race matters with Daryl Sargas and Sada Khan and Sarah do you remember when we had that chat about Mulan <laughs> was one of my favourite over-the-phone chats, I think. It just was, like, so spicy. Yeah. I, I don't know, there's kind of a... Oh, I feel kind of bad sometimes, but because this is a huge production, the Mulan movie, it felt kind of like a little bit of a sickly sweet feeling just ripping into this movie. Well, like, I was feeling a similar type of way before the chat as well, and then as um we started going into it, I was like... Oh no, yeah, no, go go in. Yeah, like this is so valid. This is so justified. Like because there were things that I hadn't even realized prior to the chat either about the movie and how um sensitive it was and how problematic it was with the team it was cursed it. it was cursed people were yeah. boycotting it internationally uh but anyway we caught up with this writer jing and young who is a british chinese um writer um, writes about movies and she had some incredible takes um and just very clear and put together arguments mm. of why mulan could have been better than it was yeah um and this is coming from someone uh oh all three of us really who had quite strong connections with the the cartoon growing up yeah 100%. anyway this is Jing and Young talking about when she found power in her race. Yeah, Mulan, really. Mm. 1998, watching Mulan. That was just sort of, that was, you know, I was a, I was a kid and I, I, I immediately saw how powerful our culture is, but also how, again, being third culture, it's such a, it's so difficult to explain to people who don't come from that community and being mixed race. So I guess it was that moment. But again, also Crazy Rich Asians was a huge part. Again, you know, movies, like, this is why I write, you know, screen and, and stages because I find that film is so powerful for us, for representation and to see us reflected. Eunice Andrada, when did you realize there was power in your race? I think I realized there was power in my race when I realized the way my body was racialized. Um, see, I was born and raised in the Philippines and I didn't come to Australia until I was 15. Um, until I was racialized as an Asian woman and racialized as a woman of color, so I didn't I didn't know that um, those kinds of identities could be imposed upon me. Um, but I've since taken power in in the label of woman of color, as well as in the solidarity that that label brings. Lee Chan Lam, when did you realize there is power in your race? Wow. Gosh, it's such a big question. And for a long time, you think it's a very disempowering thing, you know, especially when people yell insults to you on a train or when you're like 
going about your business and someone yells that you're a Chinese commie and you're like, why are you yelling at me? You know? <laughs> um, but I think um, just having inherent knowledge and realizing that it is powerful as something that I've only come to later in life and not fe- felt as ashamed of and realizing the food that I grew up with was way better than McDonald's. I guess that has been a pretty empowering thing. Pranita, we ask uh, every guest who comes on to Race Matters this question. It's our final question. When did you realize there was power in your race? I don't know if there was ever one specific time that I realized that there's power in, in what I do and where I come from, but the fact that I'm still here and I'm still able to do this work, like, you know, coming back to the childhood home that I was abused in gave me power, gave me a lot of power being able to stand true to who I was and who I am and, you know, having, having my same community of people that I left and came back to still holding me so strong gave me a lot of power and gives me a lot of power and I think that it's something that I am realizing more and more every day um I don't know if I answered your question but yeah I don't think that there has ever been one time I think there's been a culmination of experiences and I, I think that the fact that my parents came to Australia as refugees, fled a war, a civil war where, you know, they were hunted um, and gave birth to three children, two of which were severely sexually abused. And yet I've still been able to find passion in creativity and find joy in life. I think that gives me power every day. And yeah, I'm, I'm always going to hold on to that. And it's what gets, keeps me going. I'm particularly um, I love those last two answers because they speak to this idea of existence as power or like existence in spite of trauma or in spite of um, hardship is power mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily action. Yeah. Um, obviously, Pranita Thevaraja and Lee Tran Lam have completely different um, uh, answers to the question, but at the core of it, you know, Lee Tran has an internal knowledge or internal um, understanding of power, you know? Yeah, I think that's um, such a key thing there is the le- like how we kind of each year grow within our power as well. Like it's it's ever changing, it's mm, ongoing. Yes. Um, the power is something that you obviously realize at one point of another, whether it be just it's o- it's always obviously embedded in you, but um, there's always kind of like a moment or a situation, a conflict, whatever it may be, and then beyond that is just that kind of like ongoing growth, that ongoing like internalization of the power, which I, it is, it is a it's a form of resistance as mm. well. 
Absolutely. So you did hear from Pranita Thevaraja, Lee Tran Lam, poet Eunice Andrada, and writer Jingen Young at the top for our final episode of Race Matters for 2020. Yes, you are with Daniel Sargis and Sada Khan. We are going through uh, moments in interviews with our wonderful guests over the past year in which we asked them, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oh, when I realized. It probably would have been one of the first times I saw my dad play the didgeridoo. So mm. the first time I saw him um, pull, pull it out, um, he, we used to have it on top of our um, cabinet and he unwrapped it. it was, I'm sure it was wrapped up in an old sheet and he played for me and my sister for about an hour. And I just remember I was about four or five and I just remember sitting there and just thinking, this is so special and this is so important. Zinzio Kanyo, when did you realise there was power in your race? Hmm. I think when I was about 24 and it came from at first a negative standpoint, but it was actually the beginning of understanding my own power. Um, I've been, I had been doing plays at Sydney Theatre Company for many years and um, and I think it just must have been a comment that somebody somebody said, but because I hadn't necessarily been brought up black because of my white mother um obviously knew I was brown and and looked different to the rest of the cast but I really had an epiphany that how I look um really in terms of in theater the visuals of telling a story um and I had the privilege of playing like you know the fortunate opportunity it's not you know shouldn't be a fortunate opportunity but the fortunate opportunity of like I just played like white roles, whatever. And I realized that people were viewing me as not necessarily like, oh, so like that white couple have like a black daughter. And it started to dawn on me, oh my gosh, people see me completely different to how I see myself. So it was awful, but actually then what it made me do, and I started a long journey, um, now that was like 10 years ago, I realized that in order to feel powerful was that I had to get that knowledge. And so that's where, you know, I I started to basically like keep myself safe and make myself powerful and uh, gaining knowledge and um and seeking out other um, seeking out other people and seeking out literature and all of that stuff to get to the point where now I do feel I do feel powerful in myself. Um, not really even from like a race point of view. I just feel powerful in being me and all that that offers and all that that can also protect me. You've shared some really beautiful words uh, about how your understanding of race has uh, shaped your life. Uh, in particular, you say it shapes the way you deal with trauma, trust wholeheartedly, love deeply, and deal with intimate forms of betrayal. Um, I love these mm. words because they speak so clearly to, where, to the way our connection to race has the ability to empower us, devastate us, and everything in between in a way that mm. nothing else um, in our life can do. When did you realize there was power in your race? I guess I first realized it uh, and I claimed it, I guess, when I started to make music. Like there was, there's certain times when I like, remember back in high school and um, in uni where 
um, I would get attention for doing absolutely nothing. And I always wonder what that was about. Like, um, you know, uh, people would seem enamored by the things that I said and did because that it was just novel to them. And I didn't understand that. I thought it was kind of weird. But when um, I started making music and I got more in tune to my culture and um, started using a lot of like Nigerian and African influences in my music, I started to become more proud of um, my skin color and my heritage um, beyond just being a token. You know what I mean? Like that got me by like that, like, you know, that made, that made sure that I wasn't ostracized and alienated, but it still felt weird. You know, it still felt like I was an other. Um, so making music definitely helps me like really um, start to really appreciate myself and, and the, 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 the line of um, ethnicity that I come from. Yeah. Live it, live it, live it. Nijale Jasen, uh, who we had on the show talking about his latest single, um, Hotlines, Zinzio Kenyo, who had this incredibly healing conversation with Tanya Ali and mm. Alicia Johnson. Oh, that was one of my favorite episodes. Alicia. De- decolonizing love. Oh my God. Yeah, and decolonizing the academic space yep. as well. Um, Ajali was definitely one of my favorite chats. It was interesting yarning to him at that time as well because that was when Melbourne was in their hard lockdown. Yes too so it, it was always a bit funny having those conversations with um people in lockdown because we yarned with him over zoom mm. and this weird space that it was in where it was like we've been through lockdown but you're in an even harder lockdown that we even experienced and we're not even in lockdown anymore and i feel a bit rude yeah. <laughs> having this chat with you right now yeah. but he was like i loved how he like was describing to us as well how he had um created the lighting in his room so mm. kind of um give a sense of ease during some very anxiety-inducing times. Yeah, if you listen back to the episodes that we've had over the year, you'll hear, whether conscious or not, this thread of um, self-care weaving mm. its way through a lot of the conversations we've been having this year. Definitely a year to put that front, 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 front foremost. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I need self care right now. We need self care. We need a holiday. That's what we need. Yeah, that's it's exactly. the last episode, Darren. It's allowed. But definitely, looking back on the episodes from this year, yeah. you'll, you'll definitely get the the sense of twenty emotions of twenty twenty oh <laughs> throughout them. Week week by week. On. We are diving back into the archive, this short archive of the 2020 interviews that we've um, had at Race Matters. Amazing guests have come through um, these studios, either in person or mostly over the power of the internet, which yeah. has been weird sometimes, but also quite nice. Yeah, we definitely had a challenge when lockdown kicked off at the yeah. start of the year and trying to figure out and reconfigure how we were going to shape our episodes but we definitely fell into a nice easy rhythm with it all it just kind of became the norm yeah but one of the interviews that we were lucky to have enough in person and safely in person was with Teela Reed, uh one of the founding members of Blackfella Book Club Sarah that was one of the highlights I reckon of this year that chat oh, with Teela it was a great chat she just like runs home with everything like she just comes at everything with like 
so much strength. She just like bats it with two hands, <laughs> smashes it down. It just she doesn't muck around with any question that's handed to her. She knows what she knows what she's gonna say, and she she could give a whole thesis in the space <laughs> of like a minute. Here's what she said when we asked her: When did you realize there was power in your race? I have always felt a power in my race. It's like when you sit down with our old people on the campfire, if you look out, you know, in their eyes when they tell a story or, you know, you hold their hand, you can feel the power mm. in our old people, yeah. in our ancestors. When you dig your toes into, you know, the dusty Western Plains where I'm from, we have a connection to that country that is indescribable in English. And I think as Blackfellas, we have always had that fire burning um, and we continue to fight for our people because we know that what continues to guide us is the struggle of our ancestors. Nadine, we ask this question to all of our guests and that is, when did you realise there was power in your race? Ooh. Hmm. I think that... I've always known, like, I, maybe on, like, a conceptual level, I've I've always associated, like, Egypt with ancient Egypt, you know, and you kind of think of that grand civilization. Um, and for, for me, that always felt powerful, but it felt kind of powerful in a superficial way, like, just on, like, a conceptual level. But maybe the embodied sense of power from my race um, came... Yeah, when I realized that generosity and kindness is something that's really important to our culture. Um, <laughs> my friend makes this joke. This is nothing against white people. I love white people. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really do. And I try and not, like, I try and be compassionate and I try, like, I'm not trying to, like, dig the line in the sand, dig a line, you know, dig any lines in the sand. That's not what I'm about. But for me, my friend made this joke one time. It was so funny. <laughs> And it's so true because, like, when when we were kids, like, if our friends came over to our house at school, they would be like, um, like, my mum would force my friends to eat. But then when you go to your white friend's house, it's like their mum is like, um, oh, I would walk home friend- hungry. Yeah, well, it's I like, would go home it's hungry. like, is your friend staying? Do we need to thaw an extra sausage? <laughs> 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 Which is like that's just, and it's just like this kind of we show love differently. Yeah. So that to me is like when that when I realize like. There's a real power in generosity yeah. and, like, community, yeah. I've travelled the country for work over the past 10 years and I've been to places and when I when I go to places and they've got bad reputations or there's these stigmas attached mm. to them, I go in and I see the love, I see the yeah. joy, I see I see the potential, you know, uh, and, and I think it's, it's really important for audiences and non-Indigenous people to know that, yeah. that we do have moments of love and joy and happiness and dreams and aspirations and all these things that make us human, you know? Yeah. We are a deadly, nuanced, complex, layered, everything. Everyone just wants to be us anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> we asked this question, our final question to all of our guests, and um, that is, James, when did you realise there was power in your race? Oh, that's a really difficult one. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I think... I think I realized it when I returned to, to my father's country. I think when I went back to Gundujamara country mm. in southwest Victoria, I kind of, I, you, you hear people talking about belonging and connection and stuff, but to experience that 
and to fully know that your 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 ancestry, your generation, generations, generations, it goes back so long. This connection, it's so powerful and it's so strong. And I, and I think that's when I, I realized there was so much power in being, you know, Guru Jamara and Rajri. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, that that was what it was for me when I was a small boy and I went home. Yeah. Darren, you could have cut out that last <laughs> bit of audio with James there. What no, do you mean? No need to have me carrying on in the background with that question. I love it. We love it. We love oh, Sarah. Oh, gosh. Oh, we were just listening back to that then and I was like, I don't know. Didn't, 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 did not need to hear my voice. I hear my voice enough. <laughs> See, no. the laugh there. I've got to stop. We've got to stop. Yeah, got no, to stop. No, don't stop. Never stop. <laughs> Sarah Khan and James Saunders just having a chat. Nothing wrong with that. Loved James's answer, Loved though. Loved James, um, yeah. You know, we he really did do a lovely take to joy, you know, mm. Indigenous joy, Black joy, all the things that we should and unfortunately can sometimes have to remind ourselves to celebrate. You also heard from Nardine and uh, on first was the incredible Teela Reed. We are nearing the end of the show, but we have a few more people to squeeze in before we let you go. Jet black air out, smoking gasoline, self-destruct throughout, turn up what you mean, what you mean, what you mean, cut up on the jeans, what you mean, what you mean. Catherine Keith, when did you realise there was power in your race? Um, as far back as I can remember, really, like seeing my dad on stage painted up at Yabin Festival rapping. I think, like, even if I didn't recognise it in real time, I think that planted a seed within me. So it's always been. I, I can't remember a time where I didn't think that. Mm. Yeah, it's always been something you're staunchly proud of. Yeah, for sure. When did you realise there was power in your race? Ooh. Such a big question. Yeah. It's such a big one. So I'm whopped over the head with that yeah. one. When did I realize? I, I genuinely feel like that's something that I've always known, but I must have had to have learned it at some point. And maybe I'm lucky because I feel like not having that actual memory of having learned it means that it came to me very early on. And I would have to attribute that to my mother. Um, she was always... Uh, championing black culture in our household and um so i feel like maybe it was that car ride that i alluded to earlier and listening to black music in my home that actually solidified this thing in me that we are fly like and we can fly and um so i've always known it and i haven't had a fear about doing that myself and so I want to continue to do that and show other people how to do that and find that place in themselves. Um, thanks, Ma. Rachel Hawking, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oh, that's a great question. Um, when did I realize there was power in my race? I think I realized that there was power in being a Walpri woman or a Walpri girl when... When I saw, when I was younger, growing up in the Northern Territory, so Walpuri country, for anyone listening, uh, it's Central Desert, right near Alice Springs and Catherine in the centre of Australia. Um, and for me, I think probably the moment where I had the most pride in um, being a Walpuri person and knew that there was actual power in identifying as a Walpuri person was um, when I was in the Northern Territory as a kid. And I remember 
walking through the mall uh, in Darwin and um, there was a old fellow who was busking and he usually does busk there. And we're walking past and he waved out to me and my mother at the time. And um, I'd been looking for probably about 10 metres uh, before we got to him. And um, nearly every single person who he waved at walked straight past and didn't even pay attention to him. Some actually went out of their way to walk quite a far distance away from him. And when we got closer, he looked up and saw mum and, you know, gave her that look that mm. blackfellas give each other. And she looked straight at him and smiled and just sat down and started yarning and took me down with her and sat down and started yarning. Um, I think in that moment I was like, this is what we do for our people. This is what we, we're, we're not going to be like the rest of you because you might be too ashamed to acknowledge, the, you know, the um, oppression or the injustice that's in your own backyard. But when it comes to mob, we can see past that and we can see humanity. And that the fact that I was reminded that because of my upbringing, because of the people I've been around, that I will never not see the humanity in another person. I love that. Thank you so much for listening uh, today and the whole year. My name is Darren Lasagas. And I'm Asada Khan. I'm just like in awe right now of all of them answers. So we're going to be wrapping up the show for 2020. Thank you so much for listening. Race matters. 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 Race matters.